1: Aware that we are going through Psalms 23. We've been doing that for several weeks. It's a tremendous psalm. Um, one of the things you have probably notice about this psalm is that it's really kind of short. It is. It's a powerful psalm, but it's short. It's six verses. It's only 113 words long. But we need not forget that it is the Word of God. It is like, and it is like all Scripture. That God has wrote this. He inspired God, David through God the Spirit to write these words. And from these 113 words, we are to know something about him. Because God wrote this, we're to know something about him. And that's what we've been kind of studying and we've been kind at. We want to understand. We want to know what is it? What was God's purpose? What would he have us to know about him through this? You see, it is not incumbent upon us to go to the Scripture and push into it what we may desire to hear from it. No, we go to it, we study it, we submit to it, and we let the Lord reveal to us things that he would have us know about him. And so today we close out by looking at the final two verses. And what we're going to see this morning is in these final two verses is that we were given four promises, and they all deal with our future. In these two verses, we're going to see four promises... Four promises of how we can be confident in our future. Now, I would say this before we even get into it, just by way of reminder, is that these promises that we're going to look at this morning only apply to those who have repented of their sins and been saved by God, and He is their shepherd. If that's you, if you are a believer, if you've confessed and repented, and and He saved you, then these are for. You And we can have confidence in them and in him and for our future. This is a tremendous text. There are so many God-glorifying truths that we're going to be looking at. But let's begin this way. I'm just going to read it. We're going to read the Word of God and then as God's people, we're going to unpack it. Let's look at this. Psalm 23, verse 5. Here's what the Word of God says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies... You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking Amen. about. This is, there you go, man. Oh, uh, man. All I can say is this. The more amens I get, the longer we're here, man. I'm joking. Dude, I love, I love it. I get going, man. Um, and what do they say? What do they say? If a pastor asks for an amen, he doesn't deserve it. I don't know. Nonetheless, I'm with you, man. I read this. I read this. And I'm just like, yes, it's just packed with some amazing promises. There's four promises specifically that we're going to look at this morning. So come on, church. Let's dig into this. Let's be blown away. Let's be in awe of our God. Let's begin. Four promises about our future. First thing we're going to see is God's care during danger. All right. Here's the first promise. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We'll stop. We're going to talk about this. That's a tremendous promise. It seems really straightforward. You got God the Father preparing a banquet. And that's the picture we have here is preparing a banquet for those he has saved. And then it says he's doing this in the presence of their enemies. Now, once again, I don't want to necessarily understand this as I would push into it, but I want to understand it as he intends for us to understand it. So I kind of want to look at, we need to look at two things. There's two things that we need to see here to understand this promise a little bit better. Here's the first thing I want us to notice. I want you to notice the imagery shifts, The imagery shifts. It's a subtle shift, but we've got to make sure we see it because if we miss it, we're going to miss something about what God is trying to tell us. Okay, if you notice, the first um, four verses, the imagery is of a shepherd and his sheep. You get to verse 5, it shifts, and the image is of God preparing a banquet for his people. No longer talking about sheep, now we talk... Now we're talking about food. Okay, that's, on, that's an amen on that one. Hey, listen, I can tell you this right now. I know a lot more about food than I know about sheep. And I'm suspecting that's probably true of the majority of us in here. Like, like if you hang out with me and you spend time with me, you will realize that I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about food. I like it. I'll give you an example. Some of you know this. Some of you know this well. Like, if you come up to me and you say, Hey, let's talk about tacos you got my attention. I'm telling you, you got my attention. I'm like, and now you talking about hard shell tacos, soft shell tacos, corn tortilla tacos, New Mexican blue corn tortilla tacos. I mean, we can talk for a very long time about food. I like food. Don't know a lot about sheep, but I like food. But in our text here, he's talking about food, but it's in the context of a banquet, Now here's the thing that I've learned, and I've seen this Um, in the America. I have found that we generally we don't really know what a proper banquet is. Now I know some of you say, "Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean?" Well, here's what I discovered. Before I was actually invited to a proper banquet, I thought a banquet consisted of not making this up: six tacos and a paper plate. Right? You get six tacos, you get a paper plate. And that's a banquet. And some of you are probably sitting there saying, come on, now that is a banquet. It is only a banquet if you've never actually been to a banquet. I went to a banquet. And here's what I discovered. A banquet is an event. And that's what David's talking about here, an event. Time and energy and effort is put into it. Great care is taken of all of this. Check it out. You have to be invited to a banquet you just can't show up to a banquet. The best dishes, the best utensils, the best food, and it's served in abundance. And that's the picture that we have here. God is not preparing for us six tacos on a paper plate. He's not Taco Bell, man. He's not. This is a banquet. We can't miss this. We can't miss this. We can't miss this. See, it's a banquet. Well, let me, let me, let, maybe this will help you. Let me describe to you the banquet that I went to. And when I went to this banquet, I left having a different understanding of this verse, right? That, that God is doing more than preparing six tacos for me. Um, so this was the proper banquet I went to and it blew my mind. So you guys know, um, I live in Africa, nine years, predominantly Muslim city, um, Dar es Salaam and... Uh, We were there, we were there, and um, we had made friends with an Arab Muslim family. They were from the Middle East. It was a large family. Now, we would hang out with them, and we would share the gospel with them, and I'm always telling them about Jesus, so is is my wife. But something extraordinary happened one time, um, and uh, if you're a follower of Christ, you will probably soon, or you already know that extraordinary things often seem to be ordinary in the way the Lord moves, but... One time, they invited my wife and I to break fast with them. You see, for the Muslim, um, in Ramadan, they fast, okay? So from the morning until nighttime, they fast. And at the end of about 6 o'clock, they all gather and they have a big meal together. But the very last day of Ramadan, they break this fast with the banquet to end all banquets, and there you go. They invited me and my wife to attend this banquet. And I'm like, this is, this is unheard of. They know that we love Jesus. They know that we are Christians. But they're inviting us to this banquet to end Ramadan. And we said, you know what? We'll do it. We'll do it. So we go to their house. We go to their house. And uh, as soon as you arrive, you realize you're taking part in something really special. This is an event. Nothing's been left to chance and the way they do it and their custom, the women eat in one room and the men eat. We were outside on the, um, just outside under the stars and, and we're kind of meeting there, the men and I. And, and, and in their tradition, you sit on the ground and they bring out these big plates of, of food and then you communal eat, use your hands and stuff like that. And so the men sit down and the banquet begins, guys. And they start bringing out the, the finest utensil, the fi- well, no utensils, but the finest plates. And it's just the, the finest, Food, great care had been taken, right? There was no expense spared. Lots of time, energy, and effort, and just mountains of food. And, okay, I've got to share this with you. This is straight-up true, man. We're sitting down, and I'm sitting there, and I notice in this courtyard under the African sky, I notice there's a goat tied up. And I looked at the patriarch of the family, and I said, Well, I said, mbuzi." What are you doing with that goat, dude? That's weird, dude. Got goat outside. He looks at the goat. He looks at me. He says, the goat is for when we finish this meal. And I'm like, come on, man. That's a banquet. That's a banquet. You know what I said? I said, let's get it on, man. So not, not only do we have a mountain of the best food that these people could possibly present, they had already made provisions for when that amount of food runs out to continue this banquet. That's a banquet, man. Not tacos. It is a bank wit. And that's what we have going on here, church. And I don't want us to miss this. Don't miss this. This is the picture of the Christian life that David is painting here. We can't miss it. Don't miss it. We see here that God does not just give us the bare minimum, we do not serve a stingy God. We do not serve a God who does not provide in abundance. And that's what we see here. And I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm not. I'm talking about your spiritual quality of life in Jesus. Our God's not stingy. Our God is not stingy with forgiveness, grace, joy, power, or love. Pours out in abundance. And that's the picture here. We, we, we got a banquet, people. We got a banquet. But I want you to notice a second thing. Because I get behind that. Now, I understand this banquet. But then David says something that's really just odd. It's straight up odd. I don't care. I want you to look at the location of this banquet. Because it is odd. He says this. This banquet is prepared in the presence of my enemies. I don't know, man. What does that mean? What does that mean? Thought on it, prayed on it, and I thought the best way to try to unpack it is to start thinking about my enemies. Now I don't know what your enemies are specifically. I do know everyone here has enemies. But I do know this. Every enemy that you have falls into one of three categories. I want to go over these categories real quickly because I want us to see this. There is not an enemy that you have that does not fit in one of these three categories. We need to be aware of it because evidently a banquet is being prepared in the presence of these enemies. Number one, the world. That's one of our enemies, the world. First John two fifteen, he says it like this. Do not love the world or things in the world. The world is our enemy. If that was not clear enough, James says this in James 4, 4. Do you not know? <laughs> I always get um, kind of concerned when someone begins by telling me, do you not know? <laughs> it's weird. But you're like, okay, I guess this should, I should know. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, check it out, church, an enemy of God. The world is our enemy. Now, I realize you may be thinking, what exactly is the world? Can you define that for me? The world is the whole value value system which dominates society that is contrary to the word of God. The world is the man-centric way of thinking. It's your enemy. It's your enemy. Two. The flesh. The flesh. The flesh is our human nature with our natural tendency to sin. The flesh is self-centered. The Bible calls it the old man and the idemic nature. The Bible tells us that every one of us is born with a heart that's inclined to sin. We're bent to do the wrong thing all throughout our life. But here's the good news. When God saves you, right, he indwells you. He makes you a new creation, You are declared righteous in his sight. That is who you are. You have his desires, okay? But the deal is even when he saves you, at this time, we are still in this unredeemed flesh until we get to glory, until he glorifies our body, until that time we are in this flesh. And while you are living on this side of glory with a redeemed soul and a fallen flesh, there will be conflict. I want to read this to you. Galatians 5.17. And I'm going to tell you this. If you've never read Galatians 5.17, as I read it, I believe you're going to say, that, this explains a lot. Check it out. Here's what Paul says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, but these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It says here, the flesh is our enemy. Let me give you some characteristics of the flesh. The flesh has a tendency to reject authority. The flesh tends to be lazy. The flesh tends to get really vengeful when it thinks it's been sinned against. It is slanted towards the worship of itself. That's the flesh. You got the world, you got the flesh. Third enemy we have is the devil. The devil, the Bible describes him as Well, deceiver, liar, murderer, accuser, tempter, prince, evil one. We know that he is prowling around like a lion, seeking to devour, kill, steal, and destroy. Do not be deceived. That's an enemy. Three categories. Of all the enemies you have, they fall in one of those three categories. Here's my question, real quick. Church, have you been battling any of these enemies lately? I think we would all say, yeah, these enemies are no strangers to me. Some of you would say, even on my way to church this morning, I found myself engaging some enemies. And if we were honest, we would all say, you know what? Sometimes it gets me down. Sometimes it can make me sad, and I just get down. But go back to this promise, guys. Check it out. Check it out. David is promising here in the midst of... Your battle with your enemies, God has prepared a banquet for you in abundance. Forgiveness, grace, joy, power, and love, right? That is for you. Because you see, because you see, I have found that there's some believers, some Christians who think, you know what, I know God has an abundance for me, peace, love, joy, and all this stuff, but you know what? I don't think it's actually can claim it right now until I take care of my enemies, right? There is some future version of me, and when I get to the future version of me that's better than my current me, at that time the Lord's gonna pour these things out. But David says, No, 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 don't be deceived. These Abundance, blessings. This banquet is for you now in the midst of these enemies. We need to focus on the banquet and quit focusing on the enemies. That's the first thing we learn here God's care during danger. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. We're going to move to the second point. Some of you are really smart and you, you might not have uh, heard me preach a whole lot, and, and you might be thinking, wait a minute. He just spent this much minutes on point number one. Now, if I do that times four, I'm going to be here a long time. What I want to tell you is I don't spend equal time on every point, so I hope that's encouraging. We're going to, or discouraging, I don't know. But we're going to move a little bit faster on some of these, so they're not all going to be this intense. But that, I'm telling you, that is one intense promise. Let's keep going. We're going to see God's joy during distress. This is the second promise. Here's what King David says. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We are given two details about this promise. I want to break them down. First one, underline this word, anoint my head. Anoint my head. I don't know if you've ever had your head anointed. Um, I have. I remember specifically one time. I'll tell you about it real quick. Um, I was in um, high school and I was a believer the lord had saved me um, for some reason I do not know why for an extended period of time I just felt bad I felt sick and so I'd be some days were better some days were worse and I felt sick and then um, during the summer I went to visit my cousin now, I'm kind of in east Texas kind of and he lived kind of in southeast Texas kind of a small rural area and I go visit him and we're talking he's in high school as well and um I say, man, I just don't feel good. He says, you know what you need to do? I go, what do we need to do? He goes, you need to go to my pastor. My pastor needs to pray for you. And I said, okay, that sounds good. Now, here's what you got to understand about my cousin, love him, amazing man, but he is straight up Pentecostal, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about... Tongue speaking, pew running, Pentecostal. Right, and so um, that's what we're going to be. Go to this small kind of rural Pentecostal church, and so and, and I love their love the loveliest of people. And so uh, we go to this church. I don't remember why. It was early morning. Only one car in the parking lot. Um, I get out. We get out. We go into the the, the the front of the church. It's really small, and you go in. It's a little bit bigger, not much bigger, but in the sanctuary, all the lights were out. But on the on the the stage, there was the pastor, and there were lights on the stage. And he is just praying, and he is just yelling, and it's, it's really kind of an impressive thing to see. My, my cousin comes up and says, hey, pastor, can you come pray for my cousin referring to me? And he said, absolutely, and uh, he prayed for me. And as he was praying for me, he anointed my head with oil. And it was a, it was a really meaningful time to me. I, it was really meaningful. But um, let me tell you what I was thinking. I, this is lame. You're going to see how lame I am if you know me any time at all at length of time you know he's pretty lame but I remember leaving I remember leaving and I got this oil all on my head and I was thinking should I wash it and if I do wash it does it mean the prayer is no longer effective that's what I thought I didn't know I mean so anyway here's what I will tell you I was never sick again you know that's what I'll tell you um some people some people say well you were just getting better And I just say, maybe you're an idiot, you know? Um, I learned something that day. Physically learned something that day. That that God that saved me would sustain me. And that God that saved me is not lacking any power at all. But nonetheless, that is an anointing. That's what I was anointed that day and prayed over. But you get to our verse, and it's, it's a little bit awkward because it doesn't say a man is going to anoint you. It says God is going to anoint you. So my question is, how in the world is God the Father going to anoint us? Well, you can read in Scripture, old, going into the New Testament, that God anoints those he saves with the Holy Spirit. That's our anointing. When God saves you, he indwells you. He makes real for you all the things that God the Father has planned for us and all the Son has provided for us. Scripture tells us that Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are to be a people who walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, and to be led by the Spirit. Acts says that we are empowered by the Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit on deposit, strengthening us and guarantee us, guaranteeing for us our future. That's tremendous. That's the anointing. But then we get to the second kind of word, is this word um, um, Cup overflows. Cup overflows. Now, now that's pretty self-explanatory. This morning I got up, I got my coffee like normal. I I put as I put as much coffee as I can, you know. You just want to get a little bit more, and you know, sometimes you don't, and it what? Over. Flows. And that's what David is saying here. David is saying, I have more of God than I have the ability to contain. I have more blessings than room to hold the blessings. His cup overflows. There's once again this theme, an abundance. So we're anointed by God the Spirit and our blessings overflow. So one, you got God's care during danger. Two, you got God's joy during distress. Oh man, come on. Number three is, is going is crazy, man. God's goodness during difficulties. Oh man, come on, because ain't no one in here ain't got no difficulties. This is a room full of people who possess difficulties. Here's the third promise. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm like, boom. Man. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm reading the words of God um, in the morning and I come across a text like this and I just put down the Bible and I just raise my hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Look, look it's, it says, let me just read it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You just gotta, just, that is tremendous. Three staggering things I want you to look at here, okay? First thing, check it out. Check this out, the promise. The promise is, you can underline it, Goodness and mercy look look it says, not only are we having a banquet prepared for us in the midst of our enemies, not only do you have God the Spirit in you and your cup overflowing, but you will receive only goodness and mercy. What is this what, what is it? what is it what is goodness and mercy real quick, the biblical Hebraic. Word for goodness. We ain't got time to go over it, but it has a broad sense of physical goodness, moral goodness, practical goodness, economic goodness, spiritual goodness, emotional goodness, eternal grace towards us in all dimensions. That's goodness. And then you get to this word mercy. Mercy is has the meaning of a kindness. In the Old Testament, goodness and mercy corresponds with, in the New Testament, grace and mercy. All right, so we got Goodness and mercy. That's the promise. But it doesn't stop there. I want you to check out the length of this. How long do we receive this? The length. David says, All the days of my life. That means for the believer. That the day the Lord saves you until the day the Lord takes you home, he's got nothing but goodness and mercy for you. That's tremendous. For the believer... There's no blackout days. There's no exclusions. There's no exemptions. There's no exceptions. So you need not wake up in the morning and wonder if goodness and mercy is going to follow you. David says it will until he takes you home. Staggering. It's sweeping. It's total. I don't know. I read that and I think, you know what? That sounds almost too good to be true. And if you are like me, when something sounds too good to be true, you examine the fine print, right? This is something where the fine print needs examining, right? There's always a small word or something in the corner that's really small that you might miss. And so my question is, this sounds too good to be true. Where is my assurance in all of this? Check this out. It's a small word, but it helps me sleep better at night. It's this word, surely. You can underline it. You can underline it. It's a very interesting word. It's interesting in the English, but specifically in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, I'm going to pronounce it for you. It sounds funny. It is ach. It's a guttural, it's a Semitic language. It's a guttural sound. But in the Hebrew, this word has a specific meaning it means no doubt. Absolutely true. It can never be doubted. It will never fail. Now, once again, I think it would be okay for you to say, okay, I hear you speaking up there, but I want a bigger guarantee. How can you assure me that this word sure actually means what you say it means? Well, let me show you something. You guys got to check this out. You got to check this out. This is our guarantee. In Genesis 2.17, the exact same word is used. So let me read this to you. This is God talking to Adam and Eve. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there was no doubt that that would take place. You eat of that fruit, you're going to die. You're going to fall. It's disobedience. There is no doubt in anybody's mind when we read that. You eat that fruit, this is what happens. The same in our text. Surely, the same word, no doubt Goodness and mercy will follow those whom God has saved how long? Until their life ends. All of their life, goodness and mercy. Church, that is tremendous. Man, that's tremendous. And then we get to point number four. God's home after death. Here's the fourth and final promise, church. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's one of the great promises found in the Bible. It gives me encouragement when I'm down, going through the valley. It gives me hope when I am sad. Truth is, truth is, I don't know what tomorrow does bring. Um, I woke up this morning and guess what? My garage door still didn't work. You know? <laughs> And I don't even know, I don't know if tomorrow my car is going to run or how my health is going to be. But church, I'm going to tell you something right now. I do know when the Lord takes me home where I will be, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not because I'm a good man, because I am not. It's because God saved me. I repented of my sins. What did Jesus say? Very beginning. Repent and believe. Repent, and believe. I repented of my sin, and I believed in the works of Christ on the cross, right? He died in my place for my sin on the cross, and I cried out, I said, Jesus, save me, and I will, like David, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The question might be, what exactly is the house of the Lord? Well, in scripture, the house of the Lord is the place where God's Throne is it's where there is a unique manifestation of His presence. To be sure, He is omnipresent, but in the house of the Lord, there seems to be His immediate essence, His presence. Check this out. Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about it on the night of His crucifixion in John fourteen one through three. This is this is this is what Jesus says in referencing referencing Psalms twenty three six. Here is what He says: Let not your heart be troubled. I'll pause here and I'll say this, Church. Jesus would say, don't let your heart be troubled. He'd say to all: do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And I will pause here for just a moment. Here's the deal, guys. I can go on the streets, I can ask majority of the people who claim to be a Christian, what are you most excited about when you get to heaven? And they're going to say, you know, streets of gold and all this other stuff. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. According to this, according to Psalms 23 verse 6, the greatest thing in heaven isn't a golden road. Jesus Jesus, is my Lord, my God, my Savior, my King is there. I don't care if it's dirt roads. I don't care if it's mud huts. The point is, is Jesus is there. And because of what he accomplished on the cross in my place for my sin, I will dwell with him forever, forever. And then we're gonna close out this psalm with the final word. And I think people miss this, so I want to make sure we don't miss this. Um, I've kind of alluded to it before. That very last word in this psalm, 113 words, so this is the 113th word. It ends like a clap of thunder. It is meant to echo in your chest like a boom! In Hebrew, the word is orakayam. Orakayam. Forever. Forever. Not a day. Not a week, not a month, not a year. You will be in the house of the Lord forever. And it's to hit us here, thunder, home. All 113 words lead to this glorious truth. And David says, I'm gonna be in the house of the Lord forever. And I will say, amen, amen, amen. And I'll say this for myself. I can sit here before you and say, church, I too will be in the house of the Lord forever. The question on the table will you? And we all know we're going to pass. The question is, do you know that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Thanks to these 113 words, thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, you can know for sure that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever today. So not only do you get. God's care during danger, God's joy during distress, God's goodness during difficulties, God's home after death, you too can live in the house of the Lord forever. Well,
0: I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.